my name is Anna. Hello, my name is Natty. My name is Chris. And we're joined as well by our sponsor, Mr. Jason Crespo. We're from Homestead Senior High School in South Florida. And today we're going to talk about COVID-19's impact on youth mental health and mental health. To help us with that, we have a special guest. Our guest today is a clinical social worker and therapist who is working on building an online space where marginalized youth can unite through culture to learn and cope with life's stressors. A warm welcome to Ms. Anika McDonald. Anika, tell us a little bit more about yourself, please. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I also call myself a creative because I love to dance, write, act, draw, and I incorporate those tools with therapy, which is what I've predominantly done for the last five, seven, <laughs> aging myself, years. Um, I went to FIU for my master's and FSU for my um bachelor's in psychology so I love the mind and want to teach other people all about like what our behaviors and emotions and how they're come what they're like and um, how they connect and how they affect us and impact us. Uh, that's awesome so I actually met Anika during a Blue Apple Poetry Network uh, Poetry and Leadership Conference where she was teaching a workshop on using person first language to eliminate mental health stigma and one thing that I remember was that she really created a safe space for us to talk about our writing and our, you know, our feelings in general. And it was very empowering. So I hope that we can create another uh, space where we can create a discussion about COVID's impact. Yes, that was a really So cool. um, <laughs> what types of changes in mental health have you seen during this pandemic? I've seen a lot of um, different changes, including more people coming to mental health to get more, um, more of their needs met. Um, people who were already anxious or dealing with depression, many of them like had a decrease of those mood disorders um, and a lot of family conflict where people were inside of the home and just all of the stressors that happened with that. People working from home or going to school from home and that adjustment um, that I seen a lot of that affecting their moods, their sleep, their food, and all of those things just um, really discouraging them from going there to do their daily day to day activities. A lot of people were disconnected from their social life and their activities and their interests. So their their typical coping skills weren't available. Um, yeah. In these past times, it's kind of improved and increased, but um, in the beginning of the pandemic, it was really hard for people to manage. I feel like we can all relate to that. Yeah. You know, just feeling, you know, down because we didn't have any coping strategies at the time. Yeah, especially with a big change like that, our brain is like also trying to understand, wait, what is safe? Um, and so all the survival skills are at the forefront and, um, and people who are already experiencing their own health concerns and, uh, or people who lived with elderly people or elderly people themselves, just a lot of fear-based ideas. Um, yeah. <laughs> so for the second question, have you personally seen an increase in teen mental health illness during the pandemic? 
Yes. <laughs> I predominantly work with young people. So I was hearing them talk more about lack of autonomy. So like teens are already um, going through their lack of autonomy, trying to find their independence. And then now here goes more limitations. And then I'm sneaking out the home, but now it's a bigger deal because it's life or death versus like just getting in trouble. So like a lot more pressure. Um, school was difficult. A lot of my clients' school was hard to focus on and concentrate and their grades declined. And the pressure that was given to them <laughs> was not matching their needs, their emotional needs. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as students, I can definitely relate to that, not knowing, like, you have this pressure of, you know, from your, you know, from yourself to, to make sure that this year is a great year, you know, you feel bad for your teachers, because you know, they're struggling too, so I can definitely relate to that, um, so on your, you know, in your personal beliefs, how do you think, uh, how, how does isolation in general affect our mental health? Mm, yes, okay, so this can go two ways. For some people, isolating in a way that's healthy is necessary. So they're around too many other people or they, um, they're around unhealthy behaviors or like people with unhealthy behaviors. So going by themselves and recharging um, can be useful. But extended isolation for any human is um, negative. And that's because we are interactive, we're social beings. Um, Social psychology would say that like one of our main need is like unions um, or that need to belong. So we were disconnected in that way, but isolation also forced us to go on the internet more than we ever have. And it can get like perceptions can get very skewed um, and warped. <laughs> different ideas can become extreme, um, different ideas and pressures on yourself about what to look like. Um, so the way we were socializing has been distorted. So isolation can be very negative for how we perceive ourselves and how we communicate with each other. So for the next question, how do you think this pandemic will affect our mental health in the long term? Like, do you believe that everyone who had been affected during this pandemic where their mental health has increased, do you think that that statistic or that big percentage will de decrease or go back to how it was or maybe lower after COVID passes? That uncertainty is something that worries me <laughs> um, just because when a lot of people are going through the same thing at once, like even your therapist, then who, <laughs> who's the person to reach out to. However, we have rebuilt community in so many different ways. Like human beings are meant to be survivors and we continuously adjust and adapt. Um, so with that knowledge, then it's safe to say that like, yeah, some people are going to adjust and some people are going to find their way and some people may not. Um, some people may decline just because they're not getting their needs met. Um, they don't have the resources, maybe they are. Um, some of those silent groups that aren't getting noticed, like people with autoimmune diseases that like, where are they going to go? Um, some people had losses, like lost their family members from COVID. Um, financial losses are different. So it's hard to say how we're going to recover um, mentally, but it is safe to say that we are more aware of mental health. We're talking more about it. 
we know it's more necessary and we can keep pushing for there to be more healthy spaces for all of us and give them more grace and, and, and more patience as we recover. I agree. Um, you know, the, the point that you made about uh, new communities being made, I agree and I've seen it personally. Um, because, you know, while I was, you know, I've always had, you know, problems with anxiety. And when I went to school, it was very hard for me to make friends and, you know, communicate with other people. Um, but because now it's, you know, we're talking through Zoom and technology uh, and Mr. Jay and Mr. Crespo's class, I've actually, you know, have made a couple of friends and I feel way more comfortable, you know, speaking about, you know, anxiety and our struggles. So I feel like it's very true that we're kind of creating a whole new community online. Um, for some people that may be negative, but, you know, for others like me, that's almost kind of a positive thing as well. Yes. And some of the longer term impacts maybe rebuilding what society looks like which is happening anyways because even though we were in a pandemic we were having like a lot of other conversations racism sexism ageism um abuse violence uh everything was at the forefront because people were more home <laughs> um not busy not doing the rat race thing more aware more in tune so some of the long-term impacts may be resolving some of those issues that were buried some of the long-term impacts may be changing how we work, changing how we do school. Um, so those could be positives. Um, some of the negative long-terms could be people not returning back to that balanced feeling they might've felt before, still having anxiety, not feeling safe, um, extreme thinking, uh, paranoia. <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you get taught that like not being around other human beings means it's unsafe, like now that's a core belief and you just took a year of practicing to tell yourself, I have to stay away from them or else I could be the person to carry something and die or make someone else die. That's hard to shift back into um, for a lot of people. For some people, they didn't believe in that. So this is like them going through their disconnection from what's happening in the world. There's so many different ways to view it because even outside of America, um, a lot of things are still happening, <laughs> yeah, like in India. So you, it's hard to say what their long-term impact will be. Right. Yeah, that's true. You know, for people who have lost family members, it's going to be very hard to deal with the anxiety or the, um, you know, for some people, even the PTSD that comes with, you know, losing a family member due to COVID. So with that, what do you predict will be the needs of current young people as they progress beyond this pandemic situation? Mm -hmm. To be heard, <laughs> because they are the only people who can express that. A lot of times we are convinced that we know because we've been there, but this is a new time in something that we've never experienced before. So young people have a different reality, especially now. Um, some more needs are I don't want to use the word guidance, but togetherness, because it's easier to be independent. It's easier to be disconnected from family um, once you're just on the internet, like you're living together, but you're not knowing each other. Um, communication, reteaching them how to be a human without the without the com without the computer, without the phone, and just interact with human beings, like or social interactions or natural sense um some more needs are guidance on how to financially support themselves because we also went through 
I don't want to call it a repression because I'm not an economist, but we're going through a lot of loss um, and they're growing to be evolving adults. So finding new ways for them to get there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so for the next question, I'm sorry. So the CDC has reported and shown charts and reports saying showing how uh, depression levels, anxiety levels have increased. What do you think in your own opinion has been the cause of that during this pandemic? So like, would it be isolation, the thought of domestic violence, divorce, certain situations like that? Yeah, um, so many of those. I think depression was already happening for a lot of people, but they weren't aware, um, unfortunately, because I've, I've already been on the internet. So we were already like, ah, oh, I can't wait till the earth dies. Right, that's depression, <laughs> the jokes, the memes, that's, you know, those are like a depressive culture. So yeah, naturally when an alarming thing is happening and people's, everyone is impacted so differently. So yes, like domestic violence increased, interpersonal violence increased, um, homelessness increased, uh, abuse in other ways increased because people are more in their environments and processing what's going on. Um, yeah, so depression culture is, <laughs> is my little coin of it because I, I have like a cognitive dissonance where I love to do it too because yes, funny, but also I'm so aware of what we're doing to our mind, like basically the type of um, intervention I like to subscribe to is cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's basically, if I am informing myself of something so much, I believe that about myself. Um, so like, I want to die. I say that so many times, it's gonna feel like I'm, that's my normal thought versus me realizing that that's not a healthy um, thought to have. And it's not a healthy thought to joke about and it's serious and it needs help. But at the same time, like joking about it is a, is a way to relieve for some people or uh, detach from it. So it's hard because how else do you cope in a time where coping is hard, but it continues to promote the same life, like the same ideas, like, yeah. It's almost like you get rewarded for staying in bed because everyone gets it, but it's like, no, we need more affirmations that to do other things. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, someone, you know, I'm a teenager, I'm on social media at the time. And I feel like we've almost normalized that of, you know, self-deprecation jokes, like in even I'm part of it, you know, I'm like, I'm so ugly, like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, do, do that, you know, and I feel like it's just yeah, like you said, I feel like it needs to be more, we need to talk, and that's why I feel like this is um, important to have open discussions and to realize that although it's almost a little bit of a coping strategy, we still need to talk about how it's it's really not normal, and we've almost normalized it, because when I say that and another person is shocked by that, like, oh my god, don't say that, I'm like, they're being so dramatic, it's just a joke, but in reality, they're seeing the unhealthy side that I'm not seeing, so yeah. I feel like that's... See, with coping skills, some, like, everyone copes naturally, so some coping skills are unhealthy for some people, and some coping skills are healthy for others, so, for example, someone may see that joke, and it helps them to get through it, because, ha, 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 I made the humor of this, but I also made myself aware, and I'm gonna go do the thing to help myself through this feeling, but some people are seeing the joke, and it just continues making them feel sad, like, ah, oh, nobody else is happy, ah, oh, that misery loves company thing, like, let's soak in it, 
So it really depends on you. Like, how does my mood feel after like, like listening to this sad music all day or um, tuning into this long 30 minute talk about something that is making me feel uncomfortable? Check in with yourself. Yeah, I feel like that's also that. Yeah, that's true. When I find myself listening to certain music, I find that my mood changes. Like I'll be happy and I'll listen to this certain song, and suddenly I'm like so depressed. Like, you know. So I feel like, and a lot of students can relate to that. Um, so, what do you think the resource? Do you think that resources that school provides are helpful to students? Yeah. I am not too sure because I'm out of the school system right now. So I am not fully sure of what services they are giving, which could be a bad thing <laughs> as well because I have people in my life that are in school. So that means that I should be aware. So I think um, accessibility could be something that's more. I think um, a lot of children, uh, children and youth, um, teenagers don't know that like some of their mental illness could be also things that they could talk about with their school to get um, different mm, like accommodations in class. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of people aren't aware of their rights. So I think schools could do a better job of that. I honestly feel like just the same way we incorporated PE in schools, um, mental health should be incorporated. Everyone should know what they're feeling and everyone should know how to talk to someone who has a suicidal idea or everyone should know just the basics mental health. Um, and that brings me back to like the checking in with yourself. People don't know what they're feeling most of the time. In my therapy sessions, seven out of 10 of my clients, we have to learn about emotions for three months, six months, however long it takes, because we really don't have, like when we ask that question, how are you? We just say, okay, fine, eh, meh, but we're not using emotion words. So we don't really know actually what we're feeling. Um, so checking in um, can be with any tool. It could be mindful tools like yoga or, or meditation or it could be mindless tools like watching cartoons or or walking where you're just kind of like tuning out but just tuning into you how does my body feel what emotion do I feel what does my mind feel like how do I feel um physically versus emotionally um and how do they relate and also yeah people should be honest in those check-ins because you know uh, feelings have gotten a bad rep to be like a vulnerable thing, weakness, and no, feelings can be used <laughs> against someone, but that doesn't mean in itself it's a weakness because we all feel it. And if someone's not feeling it, unfortunately, that's that's a clue too that they might be feeling depression or something of the sorts, like apathy and numbness is not normal to always feel. So yeah. Um, there is emotional intelligence. And as you're growing emotional intelligence, you're more feeling, you're understanding what you're feeling, the intensity, you can grasp the frequency, you can grasp the layers and it continues to grow. And unlike, or IQ, which is pretty fixed across life, um, or EQ can continue to keep growing. Well, and that's emotional quotient. <laughs> yeah, we actually took a survey um, about, you know, the, the mental, how, how some of the students in our school are feeling about, you know, COVID's impact. And, you know, we asked the question, um, what does mental health illness look like to you? And I think you're completely right about that. Most of us don't know what we're feeling because, you know, 
some of the, you know, like an, a response here is a black hole, you know, and mm -hmm. I feel like for a, a lot of us, it's very difficult to describe what we're feeling. And yeah. That's why I use in my sessions art a lot because artists already figured out how to express something that doesn't exist <laughs> um, because feelings and emotions are abstract feelings. I may feel my anxiety in my stomach and someone may feel it all in their head. So we are experiencing different things, but we can um, verbalize and communicate. So learning how to communicate in a different way than language um, is useful. So picking a song that does make you sad and dancing to it is expressing like, ah, this is how deep my depression looks <laughs> or um, drawing. Um, uh, there's a person on YouTube that I use a lot. It's uh, Thirsty for Art and she draws your feelings. Yeah, and it she just guys guides thirsting for art. Okay, <laughs> um, she she guides you through how to sit with yourself, just go with the flow, and then journal about what you're feeling. And then that brings me to another point: journaling helps us to learn who we are, what we're feeling, writing it out, writing it down, rereading it, seeing it. Yeah, so getting to know yourself helps you with your feelings. Um, do you have any tips on how to journal for anybody out there listening? Even for myself, I've tried to journal before and I feel like once I'm, once I'm in the page, like I have nothing to say or I don't know what to say. Okay, so if you are a writer and you do poetry, journal through poems. If you are an artist and you draw, journal through that. If you like to talk, vlog put it on your snapchat but save it to yourself don't show others <laughs> um um but just finding different ways to communicate to your to even yourself but that's something that's going to be fun because when it becomes a chore coping skills are no longer a coping skill it's now a chore <laughs> like ah this sucks i hate it i can't bring myself to do it but if i am journaling by every day i pick a song and i put it to my playlist that's a way for me to set my mood, right? And so now I can kind of like, oh, what am I thinking? Why am I playing all these songs about murder? Like, right, like what, what am I mad? Yeah, so <laughs> it's just taking time to notice yourself. So stepping yeah. outside of the box of journal. But if someone wants to write, trying to journal really small, like maybe just write what I feel. Today, I feel like crap and that's it. <laughs> Close the book and try another day right the more you do the more it'll grow right so now you know now we're talking about coping strategies uh again with the survey a lot of people said that you know schools should hire therapists you know because we have uh, guidance counselors but you know that's not the same thing as a therapist mm -hmm. so um maybe you can expand on that and uh do you think that would be a good idea for schools to hire a therapist to have you know, periods where, or people that need it can take some time off class and have that happen? Yes, absolutely. So some schools, I'm in Broward County, so what they do is refer out, but they bring people in to their schools. They give them um, a space to talk. So there are um, mental health companies that are contracted with the school. So they are available, which is another reason that I think accessibility should be increased. Um, but also, for some of those companies, they have to have like Medicaid or insurance and they have to have um, 
a mental health diagnosis. So it limits out a lot of people who just need like a person to talk to. So some schools have a family counselor, but it is limited to how many um, sessions they have. So I do agree that they could get even more support and have an in-home therapist or social worker that is clinical um, just so that, or multiple, just so that there are those students that falls between those cracks that can get support. Okay, so I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, I'm sorry. What are some ways that you think we can offer emotional support to friends and families around us? So as for, you know, like statistically showing, um, I'm not sure if all of us can relate to this, but for myself growing up in a Black and Hispanic household for a while, like my family had thought like had a mindset that mental health was a myth you know things like that that it wasn't an actual thing so in a way like how do you think we can educate and inform our family like hey this is something that can happen to us and that this is a real thing that is going on in our lives and everyone's lives yeah um i come from a similar background i'm jamaican so <laughs> it was like, what is a mental health? I never heard of a mental health until I went to grad school, actually. So um, I think educating is a sticky, sticky area sometimes because uh, the person has to be willing um, to understand. And also everyone learns in a different way. So some people learn by relating and some people will learn by watching the TikTok and seeing, oh, that's what it is. And some people learn on their own. I think learning, I think carefully saying what's going on with yourself sometimes might be a way, to, a way to have organic communication so that those conversations can happen, just like how we had it today. Um, instead of taking on the role as a teacher or informer, educator, because then it gets, yeah, a lot of times people are like, you don't know me, you don't understand, I've been around, this is not it whatever. Um, and if they're coming from a culture that rejects it, sometimes it can feel like identity, like attack, like uh, this is not, no, it's not that it's, you need to pray about it or something like that. Um, so make like having those conversations, like telling them what you're feeling. I feel sad today. <laughs> Little things like that, like just making it more normal to have those type of conversations. Telling them your needs, your emotional needs sometimes. Like, I need some space. I, you know, now they're learning about you. Now they're learning about boundaries. Telling them why you need it sometimes if you have the space for that. Um, do you have any, you know, tips for someone who's maybe scared to approach a, a parent to tell them, you know, that's how I'm feeling? Because I remember at one point I was, you know, even though I felt that I was scared to be like, mom, like, I'm not feeling good today because, you know, I felt like I was going to be judged. Do you have any tips for that? Right. Judgment is inevitable sometimes in this world. Um, think about if you're judging yourself for having those experiences and feelings. Um, writing it out sometimes is easier to communicate. So if you're like, I don't want to say out loud, not every parent is open and listening. Um, talking to someone that may be close to your parent, an aunt, an uncle, 
an uncle, <laughs> um, someone, a friend that may be a voice of reason um, that or may be helpful. Talking it out with a sibling or a cousin or a friend of yours, a peer first, so you can see how it comes out. Um, practicing <laughs> assertive communication so that it's not you yelling that I'm so angry and I hate everyone, but that it's you just communicating like how isolated I felt and how disconnected I felt, right? whatever. Just checking in with your own communication skills sometimes and deep breaths <laughs> and doing coping skills before and after. Um, finally, you know, can you tell us where we can find youth mental health resources or self-help materials? Ah, uh, yeah. So I like and love, I like and hate it TikTok for this, but um, be wary of the 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 site, the accounts on TikTok, but you know, discern which ones are healthy, are coming from licensed clinicians. Um, and tune into those because they'll pop up in between your other jokes and it'll just be a reminder. YouTube is a great resource. Um, if you want to learn how to breathe, put in deep breathing. If you want to learn more about your anxiety, put in anxiety for teens. Um, I don't wanna use the other social media accounts because they're not as specific, but like, yes, on any of your social media accounts, go and check the hashtags for depression, um, coping skills, et cetera, and look through, see which ones are actually giving information and find that. I think young people can find fun in that, especially if they're already into the social media. Um, you know, since you mentioned social media, do you think that during that social media right now is a, is a good thing or a bad thing for, or is it beneficial or kind of a negative thing that we have on our side? Right, it's both. <laughs> it's really both. Um, just like life, <laughs> you know. Um, I think people should be mindful of their social media use and what they're, like intake in, and we know this because we feel it, um, but be less afraid to block your friends that are putting things there that are not good for you. It's okay, like it's a relationship that's not valuable anyways because you're not feeling good after um, tuning in. Be wary of comparing yourself to other people on social media. When you start doing that, that's when you need a break. That's when you need to reevaluate. That's when you need to go in the mirror. You need like, Take the clues of how you feel when you're coming off of the um, account that you're on. If you're obsessing to where now you're making multiple accounts just to um, just to live up to something, think about that. <laughs> like what they say, clout. <laughs> yeah, like clout is is not necessarily. I don't want to call it a mental illness, but when we're seeking attention in that way, there's something happening deeper. So. Be mindful of what you're tuning into. Be mindful of what your children are tuning into. Like a, a lot of parents don't know what even social media account their kids are on and don't even want to download it on their page to even see what it's about. Like people need to know what TikTok is. They need to know what Discord is. They need to know what's on Snapchat and how it works. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, on because I, I have TikTok. I see a lot of people in the comment sections being like, I've been on TikTok for six hours straight and I have a test due tomorrow and I don't know what to do. And so with that, do you do you have any like tips or something that you can say to those people who are dependent on social media? Because I know that personally, when I see that I'm like, I don't even do my homework because I'm too busy, like, you know, scrolling on Instagram, I um, delete, you know, social media for a month, two months. But what can you say to those who feel like they are dependent on it? They can't, you know, live without it. They feel like their whole life's around their phones. Right. Um, like with any addiction, I would subscribe to harm reduction. So that would be if I'm on it for six hours, try to go to five and then try to go to four and then try to go to three until it's every other day. Um, I think it's unrealistic to tell someone to get off of it, especially if that's their only outlet. Um, but you know, if you have an iPhone or any and popular Android right now, you can always set timers and give yourself a reward if you are true to the timers. <laughs> Not to say like, go play video games, but like give yourself a real reward, like put a dollar in a jar or, um, I don't know, stickers, like even if you're 15, stickers feel cool. Okay, if you're 30, <laughs> right? But just you're seeing the effort that you're making is a reward for your brain. So um, make a plan. Yeah, be honest with yourself and make a plan. Yeah, um, Natty actually has a website, you know, Natty, if you wanna talk a little bit more about your website. Sure, of course, thank you. So. I do have a website and it is put together by a team, a group of women. I would like to say seven or eight of us. And we are called So Psych, which stands for powerful, self-confident, youthful, curious, healthy, educated, and determined, which is for students by students. And over a course of a couple of weeks, we have worked together to build a website that offers different mental health resources for students in allowing students, not only in the Bronco community, but around the state to join the SoCyc uh, club or the SoCyc group and help spread mental, resource, mental health resources to family and students, allowing students and teachers to be open, as well as giving students different coping mechanisms, playlists. Um, we also have an Instagram and a TikTok to help spread and actually catch students um, attention so they know that we are here and we're listening and we would like for you to check it out and if you're definitely interested our Instagram is so underscore site and that is our website and our team so thank you so much and thank you for being a part of this podcast we appreciate you so much and yeah I can take it away <laughs> Yeah, it was really an honor to have you here. Um, thank you for, you know, allowing us to have this discussion. And thank you for everyone listening. Yes, thank you for having me. Our discussion with Anika was very enlightening as we spoke about the negative effects of isolation and its effect on our perspectives and image during this pandemic. The long-term effects of, of the COVID, the new awareness about mental health during this pandemic, social media and its role during this pandemic. And finally, we discussed some self-help resources and Anika shared some coping strategies. Thank you to Anika for being part of this podcast and thank you to those listening. We hope you enjoy this podcast.
Our discussion with Anika was very enlightening as we spoke about the negative effects of isolation and its effect on our perspectives and image during this pandemic, the long-term effects of, of the COVID, the new awareness about mental health during this pandemic, social media and its role during this pandemic. And finally, we discussed some self-help resources and Anika shared some coping strategy. Thank you to Anika for being part of this podcast and thank you to those listening. We hope you enjoy this podcast.